Labyrinths is brought to you by Knox Robinson Productions. Please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can listen to Labyrinths ad-free. Visit patreon.com slash Robinson to learn more. You start thinking about how you're going to decorate the nursery and what names and wondering, is it going to be a boy or a girl? And then all of that is taken away from you. And you feel like, maybe I shouldn't have got so excited. Maybe I shouldn't have started planning. But you can't help that. You spend years learning that if you're not careful, you're going to get pregnant. And then it turns out when you finally want to get pregnant, you can't keep it. It is truly, in every sense of the word, a complete and total mindfuck. A miscarriage is like the death of hope. Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. I'm Amanda Knox. And I'm Christopher Robinson. And this is Labyrinths. After our miscarriage, Amanda reached out on social media, and we were flooded with responses. So many that we decided to make an entire mini-series about the labyrinth of infertility. This is episode two of five. We were shocked not only at the vulnerability of the people who shared their stories with us, but at how much we saw our own pain reflected back. Some miscarriage stories, like this one, were remarkably similar to ours. So my husband and I have been married for about a year and a half and headed into quarantine. We had just started talking about what it would look like to get pregnant. We waited a while because we didn't know what the pandemic was going to look like. And eventually it became pretty obvious that it wasn't ending anytime soon. And I am going to be 32 this year. And it felt like it was an important time to start trying because you don't know how long it's going to take. So we went off of birth control, had my first cycle, nothing happened. Cycle one, people who get pregnant are considered unicorns, apparently, in the world of fertility. I wasn't surprised, but I was really sad. I'm not good at letting life happen to me. I'm a planner. So of course, I went out, bought ovulation kit, made sure that I was testing, finding the right time, and finally nailed it during the second cycle. I was about three weeks when I found out I was pregnant. And we were super excited because my husband's an only child, and we knew that for his parents, this would really mean a lot. We told our families right away, like couldn't help it, had to tell them I have three siblings. While we knew that there was a possibility we would miscarry, we wanted to celebrate with people and be happy while we could. Yeah. And the same people that we shared that with were the same people we knew that we would want to grieve with if something were to go wrong. Around week six, I finally got super sick, and I figured, okay, my body is doing what it should. This means I'm super pregnant. It was awful, but I I knew that this meant good things. We finally got to our appointment date, which was like a day before I should have been nine weeks pregnant. And on the way to the hospital, I remember telling my husband, it's either going to be one baby or two babies because we have a lot of twins in my family, or it's going to be no baby. And again, you just say it because you think you should put it out there, but you don't think that's what's going to happen. So we get in there, we do the ultrasound. I didn't realize anything was wrong. I should, like hindsight, if you've seen an eight-week ultrasound, you know that it looks like a little reptile is in there. We didn't see any of that. We saw something that looks like a little Cheerio, but you know, the texts are always very quiet. They don't say anything. 
So she left the room and our doctor came in about 30 minutes later. She asked me how I was feeling and I said, feeling like crap. And I was just kind of laughing. And she went on to explain what they had seen, which in our case was a gestational sac that measured 29 millimeters, but no fetal pole, which essentially is a miscarriage or missed miscarriage in my case. Yeah. And at first she said, you know, is it possible that your dates are off? And there's, again, I'm a planner. There's no way. We had been tracking everything. It wasn't possible. And we're talking through it and it just really hadn't hit me yet. We're sitting there and I'm asking her questions like nothing is happening. What do we do now? And what can I expect? And when can we start trying again? Like just really not grasping at all what is happening. And I eventually look over at my husband and he he's just not a crier. And I looked at him and he was crying. And that's when it hit me like, this isn't normal. Ugh. This means that nothing is happening. And that's when I just started to bawl at the doctor's office. You always read it in books where people say they were blinded by tears and you're like, were you really? But I like truly walking out of the doctor's office, could not see anything. And I called my mom and she knew where we had been and I didn't even say anything. I don't know how she knew, but she picked up the phone and said, what's wrong? And all I could say was, it's a loss. And she was just upset and there with me. And then after that, I didn't want to talk to anybody in my family. I told my mom, if you could just tell everybody, that would be great. I can't have the same conversation with people. I need you to handle this. And so we left knowing what our options were and got home and just felt sick. I felt like, what if I take these pills they sent me home with and it turns out that I am accidentally killing a child who's totally viable right? because I just worry things to death. It's what I do. So I took the medication and nothing happened. It was clear my body was not interested in miscarrying naturally or with the pills. Those first couple of days, it was just a lot of like crying and being in disbelief. It felt so surreal. How could this be happening to us? Yeah. And that was the worst part was sitting and waiting and knowing that your body is betraying you and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Like I still felt pregnant. I was still sick up until the bitter end. So I went in an exact week later at like five in the morning to have this surgery and everybody was so amazing and kind. And again, I thought like, okay, maybe I've come to terms with this. And then I woke up crying and I was just absolutely heartbroken. Yeah. Those first two weeks, I was crying like every other night and just couldn't imagine ever thinking about getting pregnant again or how anything was ever going to feel okay again. <sighs> it's so frustrating. And there's no answers. Because I ended up having the DNC, they had tissue to test and they tested it and they were like, everything's good. Like, okay. <laughs> Now what? Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, it would have felt better if my body had felt something. I would have felt better if I felt terrible after surgery. I say this having no idea if that's how it would have felt, but to feel something or know something would be better than for my body to pretend nothing happened. There's an enigmatic quality to this type of miscarriage, the missed miscarriage, that doesn't announce itself, especially when you've never been pregnant and have no idea what to expect. I met my husband when we were 21, and then at about six months after we started dating, I found that I was pregnant. 
and I had just turned 22. Even though obviously we weren't trying to have a baby, we were super excited. I was never pregnant before. I was young, healthy, never smoked. I was very active. So it was just like miscarriage never crossed our minds. We told everyone before we went to our first doctor's appointment, family and friends knew we were super excited. So we went in to my doctor and they confirmed that I was pregnant. And so we scheduled our first ultrasound. No big deal. We went in and then the ultrasound tech just had like this blank look on her face. And she's like, okay, I'm going to go get the doctor. And we're like, okay. The doctor comes in and he's like, you know, I have some bad news. You have what we call a blighted ovum. And we didn't know what that was, what that meant. So he said, that means the embryo just stopped growing. You're going to have a miscarriage. And it just seems weird. I had no symptoms. You hear people have cramping or spotting or whatever. I had none of that. We were just like, no, we're here to see our baby. We're not here to be told this horrible news. I almost felt like, well, maybe he's wrong. Like maybe this is not true. It can't be true. Immediately you think, well, maybe I can't have children. That's super scary. We weren't expecting a child, but we were devastated when we found out we were not going to have this child. Every miscarriage has an existential pain to it, a loss, a reversal of expectations. But some announce themselves in disruptive ways, and some are physically punishing. Two days later, I woke up really early in the morning and I had an extreme amount of pain. And I was like, okay, I'm miscarrying. I know a little bit of it is gonna be cramping. Well, first I had to pass a gestational sack, which was like contractions and truly like its own mini birth with just blood and guts at the end. And I went to see my mom and I was like, you know, I'm really having pain. And I was like, not able to stand up straight. And then all of a sudden, okay, something is wrong. And I go in and they saw nothing. And I had eaten already, so they couldn't do surgery right away. So they had to wait a couple of hours. And my tube ruptured. They went in and I had like a belly full of blood. Oh my gosh. And not something you can post about on Facebook and get congratulations over. It's just this totally private, bloody birth, which was just the most primal moment of my life. If I wouldn't have called that day about the pain I was having, I would have been in a lot of trouble. Wow. It could have ended very badly because people can die from that. Changed my opinion about women in general forever. Like, I can't believe millions of women have gone through things like that. We don't talk about it. And for some women, it just keeps happening over and over and over. We could give you lots of reasons to support Labyrinths on Patreon, including ad-free episodes and exclusive patron-only content. But why not hear it direct from a listener? My name is Henry, and I've been a supporter of the Labyrinths podcast for some time. I can totally relate to the concept of feeling lost, and I think the stories have helped me tremendously getting through these last couple of years, and I think they would help others as well. Visit patreon.com slash Robinson.
I really felt like I was far enough away from this to be able to talk to you about it and not start crying. <laughs> but I'm already almost there and I'm shaking. My first miscarriage happened over over 10 years ago. I was actually pregnant when I got married. <laughs> and that was why we did get married. And we got pregnant so quickly. I just thought we'd never have any trouble getting pregnant again. And so when my first miscarriage happened, I was just in shock. Mm. I just thought it was this bizarre fluke and it really rattled me. I'm not somebody who does well with surprises. And I was like, okay, well, we'll try again and we'll just see how it goes. So then I had another one and I was, again, just like, why? I felt like my own body was betraying me. Like, this is why women exist is to procreate and to have children. And it's such a innate part of your identity, especially when you're married. People always ask, you know, when are you going to have children? And once you have children, when are you going to have another one? And there's just this societal pressure to do that. At that point, the doctor just decided that we should have a test. Let's just see, is there anything wrong? And we did discover that something was wrong. It turns out that my husband had this chromosomal abnormality. The 10th chromosome, instead of being like A, B, C, D, it was A, B, D, C. One of them was just flipped. They had us meet with a genetic counselor who told us that our chances of having a child with a chromosomal abnormality could be as high as 50%. Wow. We were so upset and my husband felt so guilty, right? Because it was his thing. And we did have a daughter. And at that point, he was just terrified that he had passed this on to her and, and she would not be able to have children. And we just didn't know what to do. We obviously did not want a child with a chromosomal abnormality. My husband knew someone who had a child and they essentially had to rearrange their entire life to take care of this child. Wow. One of the spouses had to quit their job. And so we didn't want to do that. We didn't feel prepared financially, mentally, or anything like that. So we had to have these really hard conversations about adoption, about in vitro, about abortion. I was brought up Catholic and we would never want to do that, but we just felt like we couldn't handle that. And I shared that with my mother because we had decided we would abort if that was the case. And of course, you know, no one in my family can keep anything confidential. And so she told my brother and my sister-in-law. And then, and then I got these calls like, how could you do this? We know lots of people with Down syndrome. And my mother, she was just disappointed in me. We just, we felt like we were just trapped in this situation and we didn't know what to do. And my husband did not want to do insemination by another man and he didn't really want to adopt. And it put him into this depression. And I would hear him crying in the shower because he didn't want to share that with me and he didn't want me to be upset. And we didn't, we didn't want to talk about it because it was just so painful. 
I ended up getting pregnant again and I had another miscarriage and I just felt like I was just close to a nervous breakdown. I was like, I cannot, cannot keep doing this. When I was going through all of this, it's horrible to say, but I had this internal rage against pregnant women. I would just be like, why? Why can't it be me? At that point, I just started to think maybe our first pregnancy was the flu, Mm. not the miscarriages. And so we just kind of decided to take a break. But then we got pregnant again. And so we decided to get this chorionic villus sampling, I believe it's called. It will detect a chromosomal abnormality. We felt like if this really was a potentially viable pregnancy, we wanted to do something early Mm -hmm. and just get it done with. And so when you have this testing, you do have a chance of a miscarriage. And so we had to make this decision that day within 15 minutes if we wanted to go forward with this sampling. And I didn't know what to do and my husband didn't know what to do. But he was like, it's up to you, which I understood it wasn't his body, right? But I also felt, you know, that's a really heavy thing to put on me. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. And and so we ended up getting the testing. They walked us through everything. I got to see everything on the screen. And, and there was a little tiny, tiny tiny, tiny baby on the screen and they have to take it from the baby's spine. It's a very delicate thing, but they are skilled people. But afterwards, I was just convinced that by doing this, I had killed my child, my only chance, my only potentially viable pregnancy. And I just went quiet. Like, I don't think I talked for like three days and didn't say a word. If I did have a miscarriage, I would never know if it was because of that or if it was just this thing that happened. And you have to wait three days for the result to come back. And I, I was just terrified, just absolutely terrified. And so it did come back after three days and they said that it was fine, like everything was fine. And I was just so relieved. And afterwards, I had an ultrasound, and the baby was wonderful and healthy. And I kid you not, she was doing somersaults on the ultrasound. (laughs) And and we were just overjoyed, just euphoric and elated and could not be happier. And I had a very uneventful pregnancy. I had a, a scheduled c-section because my first baby had been born c-section and it was fine and she came out and she was beautiful and we felt like we were done right it's the american way to only have two children and she was like a dream baby i mean no problems with breastfeeding and she was wonderful and content we just sort of kind of went about our life and then i got pregnant again and we're just like Oh my God, I just felt like it was just this gift from God. Like, you know, you went through so much. Here's something that we can give you. 
and we were just completely overjoyed. And then I had another miscarriage. And I just, I thought at this time I should be able to handle it. It's the fourth one. I know what it's like. I know the emotional thing and I can handle it. And I couldn't. I just felt like I was going to have this nervous breakdown. Like, why? Why is this happening to me? Am I being punished? Mm. My poor husband did not know what to do, you know, and people grieve in different ways, but he really felt like his emotions were secondary. You know, it wasn't happening to his body and he didn't, he didn't know what to do with me. And then I felt guilty. Like, why am I even upset with this? I have two beautiful, healthy children. What more could I want? And then <laughs> I got pregnant again. And so I know what you're thinking, that we are really bad at birth control. <laughs> so <laughs> I will grant you, yeah, we probably, probably are. And this time I felt like it was different. I could feel it. The symptoms were stronger. I had my husband go get a pregnancy test and it immediately it changed. And I was just like, I know that this is it. This is the one. But that pregnancy was really difficult. I had gestational diabetes and we just could not get it under control. With gestational diabetes, your baby can be born really large or stillborn, which was another thing that we were terrified about. And as we got closer to the birth, I started bleeding, which is bad at any point in your pregnancy. But towards the last part of your pregnancy, it's especially bad. And at that point, I started to be convinced that I would have a baby that was stillborn. And again, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. When I did get to the hospital, they could not get a good vein and couldn't monitor me or the baby's heartbeat. And they were like, well, you know, it's okay. We're going to take her out. And I was just like, no, she could be dying in there. And you're not, you, you don't seem to understand. My husband and I were just looking at each other. We we're just both terrified that she would be born dead. But neither one of us wanted to say it because we were like, we'll jinx it. And so she came out. And she didn't cry. She was completely blue. Oh. We were like, she's dead. She's dead. And I was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And, um, and then we heard her cry. And we were like, oh my God, she's okay. She's okay. And she, she was tiny. She was my tiniest baby. She was just six pounds. We started feeding her. And it's not like we weren't happy, but we were just so drained emotionally. It's just awful, just awful. And no one wants to hear about how difficult everything was. People just want to focus like, oh, look, you have a healthy baby. And aren't you happy? And aren't you excited? And, and I was, but I was just so tired. I was just so tired of the journey. And then having three children is a lot to take care of. So anyway, it all ended up working out. And so I am happy. I think this is one of the most important things that I will ever do in my life is to be a mother to these wonderful children. But I have had four miscarriages and no one knows that. And so one of the things that's sort of distressing to me is people think I'm this beacon of fertility, <laughs> right? Because I have three children. Mm. 
But you know, there's guilt and there's shame and there's this thing that no one knows. But I will tell you, at the end of the day, I did get to have children. And so you could say that it worked out. But I also feel like nobody really understands how how impactful it can be years and years later. Yeah. Coping with a miscarriage is hard. As we've found, it often starts with self-blame. When we first found out that we lost the baby, I remember throwing my arms around him and saying, I'm sorry. Intellectually, you know that it's a biological problem. It's a medical thing that happens. But the emotional side of your brain is a different place. And I just remember the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, and I, I remember responding like, there's nothing for her to be sorry about. Apologizing to me was, I think I understood it, but <clears throat> sorry, still a little tough. I almost felt ashamed, like I did something wrong. Then I felt ashamed that I was sharing the news that I had been pregnant. I was like, what were you doing? You shouldn't have told anyone. should have just waited. And even if you get past the self-blame, you have to contend with the world of social media, where the cookies come out perfect, the sun is shining, and it's glorious to be pregnant. Like, I had to get off social media for a while because every time I saw a pregnancy post, I would get jealous and start crying. And I'm like, I'm not that person. And every time people would announce their pregnancy, it would be like someone just kicking me in the stomach. It was like every friend was, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. And I was just like, when is it going to be me? Like, when is it going to be my turn? And the things that I cry about now are like seeing these beautiful maternity pictures that my sister-in-law posted or seeing baby announcements. That is the hardest thing is to see other people. And it's not that I'm not excited for them. I'm just really sad for myself. Yeah. And that's the hardest part. And I, I don't know how you get over that. And maybe you never do, and maybe it's just something you sit with. And while you try to sit with the loss, the world seems intent to remind you of what you don't have. There's a morning of what could have been, what you imagined was going to be. There is a morning that comes along with starting your child's nursery and then losing your pregnancy. Or in my case, it was something really small. I was so excited, I went and bought some maternity clothes, even though I was only eight weeks pregnant. And... You know how when you go to a retail store, they ask you for your email address. I gave it to them. And so after we went to the doctors and they couldn't find a heartbeat and I went through a, a DNC procedure, I think they call it. A couple weeks later, I'm starting to try to cope and move on. And I get an email. It's like, congratulations, you're 10 weeks pregnant. Little things like that can sting a lot. <laughs> for me, it was targeted Instagram ads for strollers, for baby monitors, but even worse than the faceless companies that dredge up your trauma, there's the well-meaning friends who just don't know what to say. The amount of unhelpful comments that we got from friends when they found out we miscarried, like, oh, well, at least you know you can get pregnant and you can try again soon. Right. Or this one was probably the worst. Well, at least it was early and you didn't get attached. Right. Sure, because you wouldn't get attached to something living in your body, or everything happens for a reason, or you had to have known this was a possibility. It's like, what? when has that ever been helpful advice? 
it makes me think twice about the next time we get pregnant, will we be so quickly to tell anybody? Mm. And if I miscarry, who would I actually tell this time? Who would get it? I feel like my friends who haven't gone through this or aren't at a stage where they're getting pregnant, they almost don't know how to react. They don't know what to say to me. They don't know what to do if I bring it up and I start crying. I remember people telling me like, what can I do? And I said, there's nothing you can do. And that's okay. You don't have to be there if I need to text you. As a matter of fact, I would rather be alone. Part of being thankful for the pandemic is a weird way to say it, but thankful for the chance to be alone and that I don't have to be going into work right now and sharing this with people if I don't want to. I don't know. There's nothing I need from anybody. At the same time that I want people in my life to recognize that I'm not okay, I also don't want them to think that I'm about to shatter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know. It's a weird feeling. It is a weird feeling. You've talked to this thing, this clump of cells, this soon-to-be person. This person? It's probably something a lot of people want to forget. I'm very weird and I want to burn it into my memory because I don't ever want to forget about the first time that we were pregnant. I don't want to pretend it never happened. Yeah. It was important and it doesn't need to be brushed off if you don't want it to be brushed off. This is where my husband and I differ a little in that there have been people that I have told since who didn't know that we were pregnant. And the more I think about it, the more I think that it is me trying to have some semblance of control either about my story or just needing to share it with people who I'm close with because I didn't get the experience that I should have had. For a lot of women, regaining that control is about finding the right story to hold this experience and honoring those lost children, even when you go on to have a successful pregnancy. And actually, our first Christmas after our baby was born, he bought me a ornament for our Christmas tree, and it's going to make me cry. It was a little angel. Mm. We have it in her room, and I always tell her, you know, it's your two big brothers or sisters watching over you. That meant the world to me, him doing that and understanding that it's still a baby, even though we miscarried it. It's always going to be a part of me. I am not just a mom of one, I'm a mom of four. I still count those three, even though they didn't even have heartbeats or anything just yet, it doesn't matter to me. I saw those two lines, I had that positive blood test. Those are my babies. One day my mom called me and she knew that we had had this loss. And can I say it to you, what she said to me? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Some people believe in reincarnation, and some people believe that souls get to choose their next life. So maybe that baby chose you because they wanted to be close to you, even if it was just for a little while. I'm not a religious person, I'm not spiritual at all, but to me it like really helped me just to have that thought that that baby wanted to be close to you so badly that it didn't matter if it was just for a little bit. That is meaningful. It's like, I wanted it to be close to me and it wanted to be close to me too. That's really nice. Thanks. 
Reaching out to hear other couples' fertility journeys was honestly the best thing we possibly could have done. It has been so, so healing. I kind of felt like I was crazy until I spoke to other people who told me they went through the same thing. People who have had miscarriages, it's like an unspoken bond that we have. It's like we're forever connected with this one thing that happened to us. Talking to people who have had this experience, sharing my experience so that they have something else to compare it to has been super, super cathartic for me. Are you allowing yourself to hope? Definitely. I am hopeful we will have children. I know people in my life who have miscarried and who have been able to either naturally conceive or go through IVF and have success there. Two weeks ago, I don't think I could have even imagined it, but two weeks has felt like a lifetime and I finally feel like I'm ready. I'm ready to try again. I'm ready to be a mom and to start a family. It couldn't be better timing for us. It's time for me to start that. And I just, I hope it happens soon. Yeah. And if it doesn't, maybe I'll be writing you again in a year from now saying, hey, I have an IVF experience. I hope that's (laughs) not what the case is, but you just, you don't know. And that's why I think I'm also eager to try and that you don't know if it's going to take you forever until it's too late. I don't know. Yeah. It'll take some time, but eventually I want to get to a place where I can talk openly with people and say like, hey, if this ever happens to you, like I'm here for you and I hope it never does. I hope you don't join this club. But if you do, there are people who will talk to you about it. We'll be here for you. We never wanted to join this club. Nobody does. But now that we're members, we're trying to destigmatize something that has kept women isolated and alone for centuries. And we're trying to hope. We're trying again. This time, we thought we were ready for unexpected obstacles, but we didn't count on feline interference. All right. Keep the tip pointing down. Infertility is more than just miscarriage. It can be a long, complicated, and painful process. The double-edged sword of modern fertility science. Join us next time as we look at all the ways couples try to battle their infertility, from hormone therapy to intrauterine insemination and in vitro fertilization. So come on, get lost with us. Find us on Twitter, at Amanda Knox. At Man Under Bridge. 
And please give us a five-star review, tell your friends, and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode in our Infertility mini-series. This episode was written, edited, and sound designed by us with theme music by Josh Budo Karp. Captain's Log, Stardate 89361.5. We've encountered a fascinating alien civilization. The people of Patreon Prime are humanoid in appearance, but possess vastly greater degrees of nuance, compassion, and intelligence than any race we have so far encountered. But what is perhaps most striking is their generosity. Captain, the warp core is going critical. Warning. Divert all energy to patreon.com slash Robinson.